Dear God, I thank you for each person here. I thank you for the opportunity, the freedoms we have here to gather. I thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you loved us so much that you sent your own son to die for us, to pay the penalty for our sins, to forgive us. Lord, I pray that we will be good news people in a bad news world. That we will share that gospel with anyone and everyone. Lord, I pray that in a culture of division, we will stand for righteousness, and it's hard to do, but somehow in a winsome, humble, loving way. That's going to be tricky, Lord, but help us to do it. Lord, I just ask for your blessing on this time. I ask the Holy Spirit to do his work among us. We ask this in the name above all names, Jesus Christ. Amen. So if you're an outline person, if that's your learning style, that's in the bulletin today. The, um, we're going to basically pick, off, pick up where I left off last week. We're in, we continue to work through 1 Thessalonians. And back in, I'm massively type A, and so basically at the, in the fall, so I'm working on next year now, I map out all the sermon topics, titles, and text. So if you have a suggestion, this is when you want to give it to me, uh, because this is when I'm putting together that plan, so that the worship team and others, um, they know what's coming. Um, and so this is just, it's almost like a part two to last week, but it's focused on, I just felt like as I prayed about it and as I thought about it, we live in a very heavy time, right? People feel discouraged. You turn on the news and you get discouraged. And I just felt like we needed a week on encouragement and encouraging other people and thinking about that. You know, life, it's heavy. It's heavy. It's challenging. Discouragement, in a sense, reigns. I mean, you think about a church of a couple hundred people anywhere in the country. Think about the weight that is in that room. Somebody's battling cancer. Somebody's marriage is hanging on by a thread. Somebody's up to their neck in an addiction. Somebody raised their kids in the faith, poured into them, prayed for them, and they are watching their children completely go the other direction, their adult children. Somebody in the room is struggling financially. Somebody has been deeply wounded by the words of someone significant and influential in your life. And so life is heavy. We need to understand and this call to encouragement that I think the Apostle Paul gives us. I read a story from author Tony Campolo that I appreciated. And he worked with a ministry that went into Haiti, one of the poorest countries in the world. And they started a bunch of schools because the, he said that the illiteracy rate in Haiti is like 85%. 
So if a child could learn to read, if they could learn to be literate, they had this huge opportunity to move forward. So he and other Christians had invested time and energy and resources in order to come in and to plant these schools. And these kids would have to work all day and then they would come in the evening and get a little bit of schooling and move forward in becoming people who were not in that trap of illiteracy that was going on in that country. Incredible poverty massive just brokenness and social problems. And when he would go down on these trips, because he lived in the United States, he would go down and he said, I would go to Port-au-Prince and I would stay, typically stay in the Holiday Inn. And he said, one night I was walking in and, and by the front door, as I'm walking into the Holiday Inn, he said there were three teenage girls. And he said, I don't know exactly how old they were. He'd say, I'd say 16 is my best guess, but they could have been 15, they could have been 17. And he said, the middle girl came up to him and said, if you pay me $10, you can have me for the whole night. And he said, it broke my heart. But he said, I said to her, he said, I looked at her. I looked at her two friends that were on either side of her. And I said, are they each $10? And they said, yeah. And so these little girls, these these teenage girls were prostituting themselves to survive in this very, very broken, painful place. And he said, I tell you what, he said, I don't want, you know, what you're selling, but I have $30 and I will give the three of you $30. My room number is 210 and you can, you can sleep in there. And he said, I'll meet you. He said, I do not want what you're, you know, what the typical man who gives you $10 for a night wants. He said, I don't want that. And so he said, give me an hour. And he went to the concierge of the hotel and he rounded up every Disney movie they could find. Went to the restaurant in the hotel, gathered snacks and had them make, he said, make the biggest banana splits you can possibly make. And so he said, I sat in this room with these three 16, 15 year old prostitutes. And he said, I let them just be kids. I let them just be teenagers. And he said, I watched them fall asleep. He said, I slept in this chair. And he said, at the end of the night, you know, the next morning, he said, I I just, he said, nothing has changed. He said, I'm going to leave and tomorrow they're going to go back to the streets. Tomorrow they're going to go back to that poverty and that desperation that has led them to sell their bodies for $10 a night. He said, what have I done? And then he said, I felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit saying, look, for one night, they were encouraged. And that's profound. I find that story convicting, I find it challenging, because it wouldn't have occurred to me to do it. I would have been incredibly concerned, worried, fearful that my reputation would be destroyed. Does that make sense? Who's going to believe that's really what you did? But I appreciate a heart that in that moment reflected the heart of God that took great risk to share some encouragement, to offer some grace to deeply hurting, broken people. It has been said hope is one of the most powerful forces in the world. Without hope, with hope, excuse me, you can inspire nations to greatness With hope, you can raise up the downtrodden. With hope, you can ease the pain of unbearable loss. 
Sometimes it only takes one person to make a difference. That's Admiral William McRaven who said that. Encouragement is to share a bit of hope, to bless someone, to nudge them forward in their lives. And so we're called in this particular passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5:11 it simply says this therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing how do we encourage one another I love 1 Thessalonians 4:18 which we looked spent more time with last week but therefore encourage one another with these words and then what followed is where I spent the bulk of my time last week. What followed was the return of Jesus Christ, that doctrine. The, the fact that we are children of light, not children of doc, uh, darkness. What followed in that passage was we avoid the wrath of God and receive salvation. What followed in that passage is that Jesus died for us. What follows in that passage is that we get to live with him forever. We get to experience heaven. What followed were all these great truths of doctrine, these great themes in Scripture that encourage us. And when we share those with each other, it lifts people up. I don't want to weigh into all those again because I talked a lot about those, but I want you to think about the foundation for each of those doctrines. The motivation, what drives each one of the doctrines I just rattled off. The return of Jesus Christ, he's coming back because he loves us. We're children of light because Jesus loved us so much he didn't want to leave us in the dark. We avoid the wrath of God and receive salvation through his death. The ultimate price he paid. Why? Because he loves us. We look forward to heaven because he loved us so much he wanted us to dwell with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. What drives these great doctrines of the faith, the foundation motivation is the love of God. It reminds me of John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Or Romans 5.8, which says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in rebellion, while we were saying, God, we know better than you. You say not to lie, but sometimes lies are necessary. You say to honor the wedding bell, the wedding bed. One man, one woman. But, you know, we want to expand that. We want to enjoy some of that before the marriage. Want something on the side. While we were yet sinners, whether it's our pride, our lust, our lies, whatever it is, our sloth, he demonstrated. He just didn't talk about his love for us. He demonstrated. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. I love 1 John 3 1 says, See what great love the Father, and this is my favorite word, has lavished, lavished on us that we would be called children of God. My wife and I fostered children for several years, and one of the most powerful gifts is to invite these children who desperately need a safe place to be, and they become family. That is powerful. That is profound. And that is what God did for us. Some of you grew up in the church, and maybe, you know, oh yeah, I know, Jesus loves me and all that. But somehow you tacked something to it. 
Jesus loves me because I serve in the church. Jesus loves me because I give. Jesus loves me because... And you tax something on that. Understand, God loves you, period. God loves you, period. Absolutely crucial. And this truth, this theme of Scripture encourages us. So much of the world's brokenness is people who just want to be loved. They just want to believe it, that I actually matter to someone. I talk about this some because I, I, I appreciate it. In the Gospels, this woman comes up and almost snatches a miracle from Jesus. You know, she had an issue of blood for... This, she was ceremonially unclean. She was, you know, had to stay away from her community. She couldn't be around other people. And she comes up and touches him and, and technically made Jesus unclean. It was a bold move, but she was healed. And I love it because I don't think he does this to anybody else, any of the other women that he interacts with in the scripture. He turns to her. He makes sure God gets the glory for the healing. He makes sure everybody knows about it. And in essence, he reestablishes her. He gets her back into the community. He welcomes her back. Your issue's done with. You're healed. But I love it. He, there's a detail. He calls her daughter. This outcast. He calls her daughter. That had to feel so good. And so, I want us to understand that we encourage one another with the great biblical themes, with the great doctrines of the Bible. But underneath all of those is this motivation that God is love. A man was talking about his four-year-old daughter and a, a thunderstorm broke out. And she was up in her room and, you know, he thought she was asleep. He hoped she was asleep, but there was all this thunder and lightning. And he thought, I better go check on her. She might be scared. And he goes up to his four-year-old daughter's room and she's at the window, and he's like, she looks like she's posing or something. He's like, he said, honey, what are you doing? And, and there's, you know, lightning flashing, and, and she says, dad, I think God's trying to take my picture. <laughs> and I love that. At this four-year-old level, she gets this great, beautiful, compelling, life-transforming doctrine that God loves her. She got it at four. Do you have it? Do you believe that? Grab it with everything that you are. Grab the very core of your being. Because this is a discouraging world. You're going to be criticized. You're going to experience all kinds of difficulty at different moments in your life. But if you live for an audience of one... If you understand you are deeply and passionately and unconditionally loved by God, it changes everything. The second idea is this. Encourage one another and build each other up. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. There are so many different ways to encourage people. So many different ways. I was reading a little book by Admiral William McRaven. And he was a SEAL, and he went through Navy SEAL training. And they have this one week that's a, just a nightmare of a week, and it is designed to get the weak to quit. 
And they take them to these mud flats and they put them in this mud, sometimes up to their necks. And they, I mean, they had to do things. They had to run obstacle course. They had to run races in, on these mud flats. And it was an absolute nightmare. He said, it's, it's Wednesday. He said, we're not even close to being done with the week. It's Wednesday. And he said, he's, he's up to his neck in mud. And all the guys are. And it, I mean, everything is designed to make them uncomfortable, to make them cold, to make them quit. And this instructor, the SEAL instructor gets up and says, look, got a fire over here, got chicken noodle soup over here, got some snacks over here, and the whole group can join us if just five of you quit. If just five of you quit, they're trying to weed them out. And he said he's laying there in the mud, and he said the guy next to him starts to go. He's had enough. He can't imagine how he's going to make it another couple days. And he said he grabbed his arm and held on to him, but the guy broke, broke free. He's going to quit. He, he's had it. And he said off on the other side, he heard, and everybody heard it, one of those Navy SEAL candidates began to sing. And it was a song they all knew, and so another voice and another voice, and they began to sing. And that, that young man that was going to quit turned around, got back in the mud, and he made it. Encouragement can have a lot of different faces. It could be singing up to your neck in mud. Encouragement can have surprising elements to it. I was reading a story, Lieutenant Colonel Mervyn Willett Gonin of the British, he's a British soldier, and he, was, he went to liberate one of the Nazi concentration camps at the end of World War II. And he said he and the soldiers went in, and he said it was absolute nightmare. He said it was hell on earth. He said um, almost everybody was just, that was alive was, was naked. They were just emaciated. He said women were walking around literally carrying dead babies like they were still alive. He said it was the most horrific thing he'd ever seen. And, you know, they'd come in, they brought some clothing and food and all that. He said, but one of the first boxes that arrived, he said, at first it made me mad. But he said, I mean, we're trying to clothe these people. We're trying to, you know, get it going. And he said, he said the Red Cross, somebody had put in a big box of lipstick for the women. And he said, I got to tell you, that perked up the women more than anything else we brought. It just reminded them of another time. It reminded them that, you know, that of what used to be and what could be again because they've been liberated. And he said, he goes, who would have thought a big box of lipstick and a concentration camp would encourage people? But he said, it was profound. So you never quite know. There's so many faces of encouragement. I've seen kids that think they're going to have to drop out of college and somebody steps up and gives a big gift to them and they get to stay. I have seen the power of presence where you don't say anything, but you go and sit with a family that's watching their loved one die. You don't have to have the right words. It's just offering the power of your presence. Now, granted, we can't do much of that if, there's, if COVID is, is you know, involved and they're in the hospital. I understand the situation we're in. 
But the power of your presence is profound. A text message at just the right time can lift someone's spirit. A phone call. You know, one just little tip I give you, because Christians are notorious, and I did this for years, and I've tried to correct this in my own life. Well, I'll pray for you, you know, John. And, And you mean it, and you maybe even go home and do. I just think it is so much better if you say, well, John, are you okay if, I know we're in the middle of Fred Meyer, but could I just put my hand on you and just pray for you real quick right here, right now? There is something about praying with a person. There's something about it. And so, I just want to encourage you to embrace the different faces of encouragement It could be generosity with time. It could be generosity with your skills. It could be generosity with money. Maybe you go, you have a particular skill and you go fix something. Like just this morning, I was having trouble with the technology. I'm like, really? And, and, you know, people come and they fix things for me. And I appreciate that. I'll never forget, we had an older man in the church we served in Indianapolis. And Deli and I, we were so broke. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. And I mean, I literally would go, I think it was every month, I forget how long it was, and I'd give plasma so we'd get the money so she'd go to Aldi's. We don't have Aldi's up here, but it's like this, like, the cheapest food possible. When we had our daughter, Maria, I went and worked a night job. You know, I still had the day job, but still, I went and worked the night job for six months. You know, God gives you the gift of a child, but there's a serious shipping and handling fee at the hospital. <laughs> And so I worked at FedEx every night, paid it off. And we were so broke. But there was this older man named Clark in that church that we served. And maybe we missed every once in a while, but he would take us to this buffet after church. And this was Deli and I and four children almost every week. And it was the highlight of our week. We weren't going out to eat. We weren't doing that was profound. And, you know, he, he had some wealth, but he wasn't, you know, fabulously rich. And that investment was huge for us. Maybe you could do that for somebody. You know somebody's struggling. I don't know. The faces of encouragement are different, but you can find that. I gave you some things in the, in the notes there, some websites. You know, Around the world, there's, we have these organizations now that will let you make a micro-loan. And so some lady in, in Africa can get her business started for 40 American dollars. Get her little small business started. That can change the life of her family. So there, there's these ministries that can connect you into this micro-loan, something that you just give up your coffee for a little bit, and it can profoundly change them. You know, I think I put down there, disciplemakers.org. This is a mission that we support. And I mean, you know, as a church, we, we support a couple church planners in Nepal. And that sounds impressive. We cover their entire salary. But in Nepal, a church planner makes $50 a month American. Maybe you could do that. What's more encouraging than going into this, this country that's so dark spiritually, the country of Nepal, and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? What better way to spend your money? And so I want you to think about the different faces 
of encouragement. You never know what kind of impact you're having. I mean, Clark probably didn't think it was a big deal. He was a widower. He enjoyed our kids. And I think he enjoyed our time with him. He was in his 90s, lived alone. And you know, Tony, many of you know our Tony, uh, Tony's Anthony Clark Dickinson. You never know the impact you're having. Just sowing something. A little bit of kindness. A little bit of generosity. You have no idea what that means to people. The third idea is encourage others by noticing what they are doing right. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Notice the last line, and I love Paul does this in his letters. Just as in fact you're doing. I think I have a typo there and say face, but just as in fact you're doing. And the idea is, he notices what's good. You parents, the temptation is, to just get in the mode where I correct, correct, correct this child. And there are certain ages where you know, it just feels like that's all you're doing. But I want you to you know, play a little game in your head. You do have to correct your child, absolutely. Um, but play a little game. Let's catch Johnny doing something right. And let's commend that. Let's affirm that. Let's make sure that we walk into the room that the child doesn't tense up, that the child is happy to see us. I mean, it, it, you, you just parents can kind of fall off on one way or the other. I'm not saying be overly permissive, never correct. You should correct. Um, of course, in this culture, you know, people don't agree with this, but I think you've got to spank them every once in a while. I, I, really, I really do. I think that's part of what's wrong. <laughs> but that's me. That's my opinion. But there's verses. <laughs> Spare the rod. You know I'm right. You know I am. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 says, Notice what Paul does here. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. He notices that. Your labor promoted by love. He notices that. Your endurance inspired by hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. He sees them. He commends them. You know, I'd go to my kid's soccer game and I would try... Um, to always notice, you know, so what did they do well? You know, they didn't necessarily always score a goal. But hey, that was a great run where you, you know, stopped that goal or that was a wonderful pass or I love that assist. You know, look for those things. Whether it's in sports, whether it's in school, whether it's in the music, um, whatever it might be. The Apostle Paul models this and I think we're called to do it as well. So part of encouragement is words. This, this, you know, catching them, do it right. I think it's really important that we do this, that we watch our words. Um, you know, the Bible says in Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who live it will eat its fruit. Don't blow past that. The tongue has the power of life and death. Don't you have some things that somebody said to you maybe a decade ago and they spoke death into your life? Do you remember that? Most of us do. And don't you have some, some, some sentences, short little phrases, I believe in you, or 
you can do that, or you can take that risk, or, or you're a new person in Christ, you don't have to live that way anymore. Don't you have some things etched in your mind where people spoke truth into you? There's so much death floating from the tongues of so many people. I was reading uh, Pastor Fred Craddock. He said he was visiting a church in South Carolina, and he said, I went out just to pray and kind of walk around, and I went to the cemetery next to the church, and he said, here I am in the cemetery, and, and they had, he goes, I don't know why. He said it may have to do with the soil, but the graves all had like a cement, you know, this, this top. Because a lot of times you just see a stone, but they had like a, a whole big, almost like a case top. And, and he said all of them were, of course, were just in nice line. And then you came to this one that actually took up three spots, three plots, because it was cockeyed. It was crooked. He thought, well, this is really weird. So he's standing there looking at the crooked one. And then this older guy walks over who was walking around the cemetery. And he said, you're admiring the, the crooked grave. Um, Fred Craddock actually called it cattywampus. So some of you know that term, some don't. And he said, yeah, what's, what's, what's the deal here? And he said, well, I knew this guy. He said, I knew him my whole life, went to church with him, knew him in the community. It's a small town. I knew this guy, and he was just cross. He was cantankerous. He complained. He second-guessed every decision they made at church. He second-guessed every whatever. He just was, he just, his words were just, it was pretty rough to be around him. And he said his family decided when they buried him, they said, you know, we, we hope the Lord straightens him out but we're going to bury him the way he lived. He was just at odds. And they said, we want his grave to be a witness. Isn't that interesting? And Fred Craddock said, well, it seems like that's a little mean. He said, they wanted his grave to be a witness. They didn't want to pretend the way he lived. Words can be deadly shrapnel. You'll never amount to anything. You're nothing like your brother. I never loved you. I want out. You'll never change. That's shrapnel. That cuts. That hurts. Other words are different. Words are life. Faith-filled words bring life. Helpful words build up. Soothing words comfort and heal. Maybe it was that teacher that believed in you. Maybe it was that Christian at your home church that mentored you. Maybe it was that parent that walked alongside of you when it seemed like nobody else at school liked you. Years ago, I watched a movie called The Help, and I appreciate it. It was about an African-American nanny in the Deep South at the time of the Civil Rights Movement. And there's this powerful scene where she was a nanny to these little kids, and she held the little girl and she did it several times in the movie, at least that's my memory. And she would say to this girl, and I apologize to any grammar teachers here, but she would say, you is kind, you is smart, you is important. And she sewed that into that little girl who was not even her own. Because here's the thing about children. Whatever you sow, you parents, you youth sponsors, you leaders, whatever you sow into children, they hear it enough, guess what? They believe it. We adults have a little more of a shield. I think we tend to believe it too, but 
Be very careful what you say to children. And I encourage you as parents, I've had to go a few times to kids and say, I'm sorry, shouldn't have said this or that. Proverbs 16.24 says, Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing to the bones. People made in the image of God, which is everyone, ought to be loved deeply. We're told that the second greatest command by Jesus himself is to love your neighbor as yourself. In essence, to love others. One of the best ways to do that is to encourage people. Who would benefit in your life from a little encouragement? I've mentioned this, I think, one time before, but it's, it's something I appreciate. You never know, somebody might steal it and share it. Um, my wife is really good at meaningful gifts. And one of the gifts she gave me on one wedding anniversary was she gave me this jar, and every day she you know, pulled off a piece of paper, stuck it on the top of this jar, and had a stone on it, and it was something she appreciated about me or some you know, just word of kindness. And for a year, every day, I did that. I would, I would look to the jar for words of affirmation. I'm a grown man. You wouldn't think I'd want that, right? Or need that? Oh, you better believe people need that. So I want you to think about who can you encourage? How can you encourage? What would that look like? An action step I give you in the notes is, how about this week? One simple thing is write a note. It could be a thank you note. It could be just a note of encouragement. Hey, I know you're going through a hard time. I'm praying for you. Here's a scripture that might be helpful. It could be, um, you know, it, it just could be anything. What would help somebody? It might be a sympathy note. Maybe somebody's experienced a death. But I encourage you to write one note this week. Share those words of encouragement. I want to show a video real quick. Right, let's do this. This is on encouragement and words. You don't have a ton of things in common with God, but there is one thing. You speak. So does he. God spoke light into existence with his words. I wonder what you could speak into existence with your words this week. I wonder what kind of love you could speak into your marriage that feels like it's in neutral. I wonder what kind of courage you could speak into the heart of a child who's hurting. I wonder what kind of peace you could speak into your broken friendship. What kind of hope you could speak into your own weary soul. I want you to know that the most powerful words you're going to speak this week is probably not going to be on a stage or a conference call or closing the deal with a client that you want. The most powerful words you're going to speak is probably just with one or two people listening, maybe zero. It's totally possible that the most powerful sentence you'll say this week is a thoughtful text message that you send to a friend who's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's the apology email that you finally get the courage to send. It's the whispered prayers through tears in the middle of a dark night. Powerful words aren't just for preachers who stand behind pulpits. They're for parents who stand next to bunk beds spouses who share hopes and dreams during pillow talk and not criticism 
teenagers. Stand up to bullies. Stand up for the uncool kids. Your tongue is so small, but so powerful. Your tongue is telling a story. What story is your tongue telling? Life will discourage. We must encourage. And so the big idea this morning is encourage everyone, speak life, give hope. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for each person here. Lord, I thank you for the chance to gather. I thank you for this time together. Lord, help us to be the faces of encouragement in this community, in our homes, at the schools, at our jobs, our workplaces, just wherever we're at. Help us to share and offer hope. Lord, I do lift up those in authority, those who hold positions, those on the school board, city council, president, supreme court, governor. Lord, we pray that your wisdom would reign supreme in their minds. We pray that as a church and as individuals and as followers of Jesus Christ, we would engage our culture, that we would be salt and preserve what is good. We would be light, that means tell the truth, be authentic. Lord, help us to do all of this in a way that is winsome, with a smile on our face, and the gift of love and hope in our hearts. Lord, we thank you that you love each person in this room, period. I offer this prayer in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.